Hey, beautiful people, and thank you for listening to the Bang 2-3 podcast. If you find this funny, entertaining, or insightful, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you want to make my day, go show us some love on our Instagram page, because I love each and every single one of you. Thank you for listening. Would you say you were a rebellious kid growing up? No, actually, I was terrified of my mom. She was very strict, so I was right in line. She didn't tolerate a lot of that. No, I'm the youngest of six, so yeah, she kept us in line. So what what would happen if maybe you snuck out at night or did something disobeyed her? Would would it be a punishment? Would it be the belt? Would it be both? (laughs) Uh, Yes, it'll be a good combination, but I was too scared to try. Not her. Really? No. What was she like? She was an amazing woman. She grew up in very humble beginnings, had a very rough life um, growing up. And so she was hard on her children. She had five girls and one boy, uh, but very supportive. And all she wanted was for us to be successful. So she did the best with what she had in her childhood and her upbringing. You know, she couldn't provide all the extras that we get in today's society because she didn't know. So when you know better, you do better, but she did the best that she could. And we all graduated high school, which was her dream and her goal. And I'm the only one that went on to uh, attend college and graduate, but she was an amazing woman. Why do you think you were the only one? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I was just a little different. I was terrified. I just wanted to have a different life. I didn't like my my home environment. So I wanted to have my own children and give them something different. Why, why you didn't like your home environment? Was it just because she was so tough? Well, no, no. I grew up, um, I would witness domestic violence from time to time. I had siblings that was in and out of jail, um, siblings that sold drugs, things like that. Um, people that got pregnant earlier. And so it was very tough. And so I, I wanted no part of that. I wanted a different lifestyle. Why didn't you sell drugs and get wrapped up in that? I was terrified of my mom. Oh my <laughs> so, God. I want to meet her so to, bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. She was, she, I, unfortunately this past April, I lost her. I was her caregiver oh and, but she's still with me now, but I, my goal is to make uh, my parents very, very proud, but Yes. She didn't play. She was a no-nonsense woman. (laughs) It sounds like she had such a huge impression on you. And she obviously raised an incredible woman. But so you said about her upbringing, you said that it was like tough, very poor. Yes, very poor. She grew up in the project. Um, I think she was number two of, I think, 11 or 12 siblings. And several of them had like their own fathers. So it was very tough for her growing up, but she was focused and she knew she was going to have her family. She took care of her siblings and raised her own children at the same time. And my parents were very successful towards, um, as they became adults, they went out, they had a janitorial business. They had rent houses all over Austin, Texas. So very, very successful. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. This is, see, these are the stories. Okay, I'm about to go on a rant. These are the stories I need to hear. I want to hear. I love the story of Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, um, all of these people who are great. 
I was going to say Oprah Winfrey, but she used to have roaches as friends. So <laughs> she, she came from the bottom. I can't yeah. hate on her. Uh-huh. But we focus so much on, on people who, uh, here, here's a story I don't think a lot of people know. Mark Zuckerberg, whenever he graduated high school, his father gave him a choice. He says, I will either pay for you to go to Yale or I will give you a McDonald's. And wow. he, he, chose, he chose to go to Yale. But either way, who has that type of opportunity? So I think we need to take people like your mom, yourself, and we need to put y'all on like a superstar pedestal. Okay. You may not be a multi-billionaire, but damn, it's hard to come from these hard situations. Okay. Listen, if you're a trust fund kid and you make a million bucks, congratulations. But I'm way more interested in hearing about the woman who used to talk to roaches and yes. is now a billionaire <laughs> or right. someone who comes from the slums. That is so freaking incredible man your mom was an awesome person that is that just warms up my heart I feel so good hearing that oh I thank you thank you she was always out to help someone else so my goal is to keep her legacy going why do you think people who come from hard lives are so giving shouldn't it be the opposite they're hurt so they want to hurt others oh no no they want to help out they want they don't want people to go through what they've been And so they spend time reaching out and supporting and encouraging other people so they can get to the other side. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. It's okay to say you don't know because I don't think anybody knows. Uh (laughs) Um, How do we have less poverty and less ghettos in America? Hmm. I think if we would all just band together and support each other and lift each other up instead of fighting to keep each other down or worried about competing and try to outdo each other. If we band together, we can lift each other up as a a community and as a society and we would be stronger together than we are apart. Okay, Could you dive into that? So hypothetical, I'm in the ghetto. Mm -hmm. Listen. I'm dealing drugs. Why? Because I got three kids. I can't get a job. I, I'm a felon. I can't get a job. I got kids to feed. All I'm like Biggie. <laughs> you know? um, listen, I'm selling drugs to feed my kids. Yeah, I'm poor. Yeah, maybe I'm stealing electricity. What you talking about band together? Ain't nobody come and give me nothing. What, how well, does your plan help me? My plan helps you, number one, because it gives your children a better life. Selling drugs is not going to give them a better life because how helpful or beneficial will you be to them if you're locked up and you're Mm. locked up away from them? You can't support them in school. You can't support them in their personal lives and you can't uh, um, support them. Finances is not everything. Students need your emotional support. They need your physical presence inside the school building to cheer them on. So that, in the sense, is going to pull them down further because they watch what you're doing. They don't listen to what you say. They watch what you're mm-hmm. doing. And so then you're going to continue on a cycle because your child will see you doing it. And then they want to adopt what their parents doing. And the cycle is never ending. So you have to make a conscious decision. I'm going to stop this cycle. I'm going to do something to uplift my kids. And I'm going to go to McDonald's or I'm going mm-hmm. to go to H-E-B or whatever it takes to make a good living that I can be proud of while I can also be physically there for my children to lead them on. Holy moly. Okay. So in a nutshell, what you're saying, you're telling me, right? Cause I'm, I'm playing the guy, you know, I'm, I'm the impoverished guy. I'm the biggie smalls, but I never make it big. You're telling me, Hey, listen, suck it up, bro. You got kids. 
go get a real job, even if it doesn't pay a lot, get two of them, get three of them, because you may think you're supporting your kids by selling drugs, but what you're doing is you're setting a bad example. And even if, yeah, they may have some Nikes on in a couple years, if you're not in jail, they will be because they're, you're setting a role, uh, you're being a role model for them and it's a bad one. You're right and spot on. And being in education, even as when I was a teacher and an administrator, and it hurt my heart sometimes because I love to reach back and I like to be a part of schools in the areas that a lot of people don't want to be in. And it hurt mm-hmm. my heart to see these children that are dressed to the T with all of the name brands and all of the great shoes, but I never meet their parents. Or when I call, if they have an issue on campus and hey, don't call me at work. I'm too busy right now. They're at school with you. That's your responsibility. Parents have to be accountable. You made the choice to bring them here and you have to be by their side the entire time that they're on this earth. Oh, man, dude, you're talking about my school. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So the. I think the thing, a a lot of people will hear that, what you Mm -hmm. just said, and they may say, oh, I've heard other people say that. Here's the part that you have not heard someone say, Mm -hmm. what you just said. They're wearing the nice shoes and the nice clothes, but the parents are absentee. It's the nice shoes and nice clothes. Why do we think, why do you think we have set this culture of, yeah, man, my home life is a wreck. Mm -hmm. Everything's a wreck. But man, look at these Jordans I have on. Where does that come from? I mean, look at everything that's around you. You have the TikTok, the Instagram. We have so much pressure in this society and in this world just to fit in. And so it's cool when you can fit in and say you have the J's on or whatever it is that you have on. And your parents are spending all day, every day working hard to give you that. But it's not all about the materialistic thing. When have you hugged me? When have you told me I did Mm. a good job? When have you sat down and read a book with me? Because the most important thing that you can ever give a child is the ability to think for themselves. Because we're so influenced by everything else around us that I don't know how to think for myself. So whatever John has, I want to get what John has instead of looking at myself and saying, does that benefit me to have all of those Jordans and all the fancy things? Why is it not just impressive if I put on a Walmart pair of pants and shirt? Why do you look down on me because I'm wearing that? But it's also not only the image, but you got to be okay on the inside. So teach me values. Teach me to self-love. And I can only get that because by you pouring into me. But you can't pour into me if you're not around me. Oh, man. <laughs> God, dog, boy, you speaking into some people's no. soul tonight. I know. <laughs> boy, you got to piss some people off. I know. I know. So what, what, what do you say or what, what does the good parents say to the kid, the kid who's wearing Walmart shoes and they come home and they say, mom, they make it fun of me because I, I ain't got no J's on. What? This is messed up. I'm getting bullies. I want I want some J's. Well, they wouldn't say that if you teach them the value of who they are and what they have on. Because once you set that in foundation and, you know, they wouldn't even care about whatever other kids have on. I know my children for the longest didn't even know what name brand was because they were OK with their self. I spent more time pouring into them, teaching self-love, teaching them what was important, that they were not looking out to to fit in and match up and go toe to toe with everybody else and what they had on, they were more uh, excited about, you know, I'm reading on this level. I'm doing good in school and I'm surviving. And once you give them that strong foundation, they are built up to be the individual that's able to 
go toe to toe to those kids that say, hey, you don't have that on. Oh, okay. well, I don't need that. But you know what? What's important to me is look how I'm doing in school. And I know that some people will say that that's far fetched, but it's all about your perspective on everything. That's not to say anything negative about the single moms and dads that's out there working hard. Hats off to them because it is very difficult to do. But if you bring a child into this world, that has got to be your priority, not showing them the latest song or dance and seeing how fast they can twerk, but teaching them how to do math, teach them how to read. That's what you should be impressed with. Yeah. So you heard it here first, kids. Listen, if they make it funny about your shoes, you tell them, hey, listen, I may have some Walmart shoes. What's your doggone reading level, fool? There you go. <laughs> That's right. Listen, I'm in sixth grade. I'm reading at 11th grade reading level. What are you reading at, dummy? Don't call him a dummy. But kids are mean. Kids kids are going to call him a dummy. But to me, I think that's a, that's a, honestly, that's a creative rebuttal. If I was in school, I'd be like, damn, man, I do not want to mess with this kid with the high reading level because, man, this guy will get you with his Walmart shoes. So you were in education. How many, what do you think is the percentage of kids? that have that outlook that you're talking about where they care more about a reading level than a brand? It depends on the areas that you're in, but and I wouldn't say not a very high percentage because again, the pressures of the world, temptation, the distractions that we have, it's so many out there and it's hard. It's hard not to be distracted. And I feel sorry for a lot of our children that are out there. And that's why that's my passion to connect with the students that are overlooked because they have so much going against them. They have the the phones and we have all the Snapchats and I can't really focus and do what I need to do in class because everyone is vying for my attention and they're influencing me. But I would say there is a low percentage of children that would place high value on their readings for than what others uh, think about. Have you noticed in the past however many years you've been in school, maybe as a student growing up and now in education, have you noticed that the attention attention spans have shrunk and that kids are more distracted now? Yes. Our kids, and I know, especially since the pandemic, and a lot of people tend to overlook that, but it's not just the adults that have suffered and gone through so much. Our children, our babies have truly suffered throughout the pandemic because A lot of adults, we kind of just go like kind of roll over it because they're kids, they're resilient, they can bounce back. But we can't really understand what they've been through because tell me when you were in school and you had to go to class on a Zoom call or you Mm. had this period of time where you had no social interaction with your peers. That's very difficult for these children. And then are you really receiving a quality education through a, a screen? How can you really help yeah. to meet my needs when you're so far away and we're not in a classroom and I can't really ask the questions and become engaged the way I need to? So it pushes them further behind in their education. So that equals all of the problems that we're having going on now. So it's not just the adults that was affected by pandemic. It's also our children. And that's why I always say to our adults, please don't dismiss the feelings of our children. Because just like you're an adult and you can come home and you're stressed out about what's going on, and then there's a child that may be having a difficult time. Maybe it's, uh, mom, I don't want to go to school. My hair looks bad. Girl, get in this car. We about to go to school. (laughs) Would you go to work looking like that? 
How would you feel if you had to go to work like that? So we don't think about it from the child's perspective. Or you say, oh, don't worry about them. That's not a big deal. But then you go to work and you're steady looking around at people that's watching you. Or it may be your mortgage. You miss a mortgage payment. You're not going to dismiss that. So stop dismissing the feelings that our children have because the issues and the problems that they have are just as big as the problems that you have in your perspective it is for them. So be there, allow them to talk, to vent, be there to support them because our children are truly going through a lot. Man, that's that's such a good point too, because people don't realize what COVID is is doing to these kids with the, I I don't either. Um, I, I don't have kids with the either not going to school, doing the Zoom calls, not having their friends. I mean, that is just, oh man, I don't know if history will be kind to that decision to do that to our kids. What what role do you think the educator has in that? Because I'm guessing now you have a bunch of, for lack of a better word, damaged kids or kids that are maybe a little behind and maybe they're acting out more now. Maybe they're, they don't have the social skills now, or maybe even their, their book learning is a little behind and that's an extra burden, burden on the educator. What, what role does the educator have in helping those kids who are behind? The educator has a huge role and definitely to make sure that they provide grace and patience when it comes to the kids, because the kids are bringing with them into the classroom a lot of baggage, whatever is going on at home, however they feel about their self and their education. And that's a lot to deal with. So the educators have got to be prepared to build strong relationships with the children, not be so driven and focused on the academics because they need more than that now. They need someone that's going to sit down and check in with them, make sure that they're okay socially and emotionally, and make sure that they feel that they're included and involved in the classroom. So going beyond the academics, to connect to the children is very important right now. And what does that look like whenever you check in on a child? Let's say a teacher notices the child is maybe disturbed. How do they go about checking on them or, or trying to help them? I mean, if you could do a just a two minute connect with your students. Hey, today we're going to talk about our favorite store, a show that we watched, and then we'll go around the circle. Everyone talks about the show that they watch, and that's learning more about the child. But while you're doing that, you're watching the behavior, the body language from the individuals, and you know your students when they're not acting the same. And when they're not, that's your opportunity to kind of pull them to the side during recess or during lunch and say, hey, I noticed you were kind of off this morning or you didn't share as much as you usually do. Is everything okay?" And that shows Mm -hmm. the child that, okay, this is not just my my teacher. This is someone that's an advocate for me. They actually care about me and they want what's best for me. Do you ever get pushback from the parents saying, hey, man, leave, leave my kid alone. They're fine. Yes. Yes. From time to time, we do get uh, parents that just want to handle their own issues or they don't see what you see in the classroom or as an administrator. And so they'll say, oh, that's not really a big deal. You're overreacting. He's just going through so something simple. But that's why we need so many strong ab- educators in the classroom that's willing to go above and beyond. So not only are you connecting with the child, but you're being that child's advocate when it comes to the parent. I think we need to take a closer look at this. And if the parent decides that that's not something that they want to do, 
well, I'm going to refer them for services because I'm concerned and make the Mm. parent um, aware at the same time. But it's very hard as well on our educators. A lot of our educators are getting to the point that they're burned out. There's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety, a lot of expectations. And so our teachers and our educators and administrators need to be um, applauded for the services that they do provide, because it's a tough job being a teacher and being an advocate, especially when you're not being paid what you should be for the time and service that they provide. Because their job, people think that, oh, you get the summers off or you get this vacation. It's an easy job. Oh, no. Teachers work a lot. They prepare to go to work. They work and then they prepare to get ready to return the next day. We don't have a lot of downtime when you're in the field of education. Just talking to you for the past couple of minutes, it sounds like a crazy job. And it's it's the hardest of jobs because it's not for me. I'm a guy. I'm an analytical guy. I work mm-hmm. with computers. I like one plus one equals two. Uh-huh. When all of this human stuff, like, hey, you have to notice a kid's emotion and then you have to handle it the right way. And you don't want to piss off the parent, but maybe you do want to piss off the parent and you don't want to be too aggressive with the kid or if the kid doesn't like that. And oh my goodness gracious, these people should be paid millions because that, that is, that's nuts. If you were to be honest, okay, now let's just, it's just me and you talking here. Okay. Okay. Just me and you. What percentage of educators you think go the extra mile that you're talking about to check on the well-being of the kid? I would say a pretty high percentage. You don't go into More than education. 50? Oh, yes, most definitely. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Uh, teachers, we don't go into education for the money. And so we know that <laughs> That's a good point. up front. So we're going in with our heart and with our service because we're concerned about making a difference in this world. And so teachers, they wear so many hats. Their mom, their dad, their counselors, their nurses, all in one setting in a class period, the things that teachers do in a class um, in a classroom, people wouldn't be able to do in some lifetimes and they're changing lives and to undervalue them says a lot. So we have got to applaud our educators. We have to advocate for them to be paid more and we have to give them some grace because that is a very difficult job to do. They're definitely first line uh, responders. Yeah, no, they're they're fantastic. And and if there's anything anybody could do for educator, you know, buy them a dog on coffee or something like that. The reason I ask is because I feel like all of my teachers, they didn't really give a crap. (laughs) I may be wrong. I was a bad kid, though. I was bad. They were probably like, oh, that boy, Chris, we don't want to mess with him. Uh, (laughs) If if you could change something, you know, you're the you're the god of education for a day. What what would you change? Would it be more pay? Would it be different work environments? What, what would you change about the, the job environment uh, from a, a top level? Uh, number one, I definitely would say more pay. And for the individuals yeah. that say pay doesn't make a difference, you know, look at your bank account and see what you're making and see if you would cut back to become a teacher and do the same job that you're doing today. And if you can answer that question, yes, then you can maybe we might have a conversation. But I don't think the individuals that's making six figures in these top of the line positions that make these decisions just to pay the teachers a small amount of money. I don't think that they would take 30 or 40 or 50 thousand dollars to do the job that they're doing. And they don't have to deal with the angry parents or the threats or the 
the behavior issues and all of the duties that the educators have to do. So number one, it would be pay for me. And number two, I would ask or make it mandatory that parents and guardians are more involved in the child's life when it comes to education. We are not a babysitter. And this is not a place just to drop your children off. And and it's great because I've been fortunate to work from all levels. I've worked from kindergarten all the way up to the college level. But you see a great level of participation when it's kindergarten through fifth grade. And then it starts to drop off. Oh, well, they're in middle school and they're in high school. They really don't need me. That's when they need you the most. And so making it mandatory that parents and guardians are actively involved in their their child, their whoever it is that's the caretaker for that child to be actively involved in their life should be a, a huge requirement. Yeah. And how do we how do we get that? Because that's tough. Is it, hey, one day a month the parent should come to school? Or maybe do we give homework for the parents as well? They won't like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like what what's the logistical thing? Is it like we have a parent's day or How do we facilitate that? I think it would be great. We have even a social and emotional component to it for parents to be able to check in and tune in to what their child is actually having going on in their lives. But of course, something academically, at least for a six week or a nine week period, you're required to come a couple of times during the six weeks, not just for the parent teacher conference to just show up and leave but you're able to be actively engaged in their, in their lives. So we need you at events. We need you at the conversations, the meetings with the teachers. We need you maybe have a parent day. Will you spend the day at the school going class to class with your student, making sure that they're on task? So you will know the teacher's not making it up. It's not just, and sometimes do that unannounced. It's, I'm not making it up that this person is having issues in class. If you show up and you kind of pop in, you might see a different child. So you wouldn't blame the teacher and their perspective of your your child. So making sure the involvement um, is very important, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that that is super duper critical, man, because I have a sister-in-law who's currently in high school. And I always thought it was so weird. Her mom, who is my mother-in-law, knows like everything about it she knows even she knows the other mom's names she knows the teacher's names she knows when the tests are she even knows like the petty high school drama and I was like oh you are so weird you it's weird she's 15 man let her but from what you're saying this is what a healthy parent teacher student relationship should look like Oh, most definitely. And you, and a lot of people may think that it's weird and children don't want you there. But I, I was even on the high school level and they would love they love that. They need that attention and that encouragement. And I've had so many teens that would come to me and say, you know, Dr. Bradford, I wish I could talk to my parents the way I talk to you. And because, you know, those things that are small in our mind, mm-hmm. oh, they're just dating him. That's just small drama or she's upset today. I'm going to give her her moment. That's when they want us to tap in and say, girl, who is he? I didn't see you talking to him last time. And then she's like, oh, for real? And now she knows, oh, you're interested. So she'll share those things with you. And you can get that's when you can give guidance. 
I don't know if you want to talk to him. Did you see how his <laughs> pants were sagging? Or did you hear how he was talking to that other girl? And you make that connection and they're like, yeah, he's not supposed to talk to girls like that, is he? And you can give yeah. them some tips. But yeah. going down to their level, remembering when you were a child, and that's what's most important to me is being able to encourage someone else because we're all going through so much right now. Yeah, for sure. Listen, if you got some some petty high school drama, please come on a podcast because I love it. Listen, I will listen to 13 to 18 year olds talk about their ex-boyfriends, girlfriends. She ain't nothing but a dog. I don't know why it's so entertaining. I love hearing it, hearing about it. Man, as we get older, our lives get boring, man. So that stuff is kind of cool. What it what are some challenges that you see kids uh and young adults going through? Maybe not on an educational level, but a personal level. What are some common ones? Well, um, I, I think it's a little bit about the reason why I decided to establish my company, Maintain the Flame. Because when I was younger, there were, for me, it was just the family dynamic. And so I also know for children that uh, problem with being rejected, not fitting in, not fitting in with the cool crowd or not fitting in with those individuals. And for me... Um, I had difficulty with my siblings just because I went to college. And so it was said that, oh, you think you're better than us because, OK, your bachelor's is fine, but you're doing the most when you're getting a master's and a doctorate. You're just doing too much. And so they rejected me because you think you're different and you're better than us. And so it carried me on to my adult life when I became married. And so you I don't know. Have you seen the movie Meet the Fockers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love, I it. love that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> and so, you know, where the uh, father-in-law, he has a circle of trust circle and this is a circle of trust and you're outside that circle of trust. Well, yes. the son-in-law just wanted to get in with this family. I just want people to like me. I want to fit in. And so that's how I was with my in-laws. I, I just want to be a part of the family. But I was rejected because they had their idea of the, what a daughter-in-law should be what holidays we will celebrate, and we will control you and tell you how your relationship would be. So I was rejected from there. And I think when we're in life, even when you go to your workplace, if you speak up for things that are wrong, don't rock the boat. Oh, you're, you, she's a, a problem because she speaks up when things are going wrong, but that has to do with your integrity on the inside. So I think in life, as you experience rejection, that causes problems and that pulls you down. But my job and what I'm focusing on is having people think back to when you were younger. You had all this zest for life. You were excited. You didn't care who you dated. You didn't care mm -hmm. what people thought about you. But then you become adult and that flame and that excitement that you had for life, it begins to flicker. Or sometimes we suppress that flame depending on who we're around. Because even as adults, wait, I don't want them looking at me like that or I don't want them judging me or I don't want them thinking I'm weird instead of being authentic to who you are, because we have so many expectations from the world and society. And again, as adults, we just want to fit in. And so that goes back to when we're all in high school. And I always say we're all just little kids and big bodies and we're still dealing with the same anxiety and problems and bullies that exist when we were younger. We just have to have the courage to stand up to them and design the life that we desire. Yeah, that's a good point. Man. I, that was the quote that caught my eye. That's, that's why I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I think it's growing up, we had excitement for life, but as adults, we tend to dim our flame for others. Mm -hmm. And it, it touched me because it's, 
it's it's so true that the flame dims and we know these things we know that as people get older they become a little bit more boring a little bit more stale and i think we just stop going outside of our comfort zone man in high school you have or just school in general you have no choice man you have that zit on your face you're going to school you're going to get made fun of uh your teachers are going to push you maybe you're in athletics your coaches are going to push you your friend groups are going to push and pull you you're uncomfortable all the time it's like oh man you know you you have that little girl over there and God, dog, she's so cute. And man, I want to get her, but I think she's way cuter than me. How do I do it? And it's just constant, like uncomfort, uncomfort. And you grow, you grow so much in school. You grow so much. And then we get out of school. And once we get the job, maybe the wife, 2.3 kids, the white picket fence, it's just like, all right, we feel like, all right, I'm done with that uncomfortable crap. Mm -hmm. Man, then you become boring. You be- kind of become depressed, kind of like, uh, you know, life is just so good right now. Or but, sometimes we just decide to settle. We just hmm. say, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to do too much. I know this may not be the relationship I should be in, but my mom really likes this person. Or I know that this is not the best job for me, but I, I can't go anywhere else. And so we're limiting ourselves instead of taking that chance and stepping out of that box and doing something that we would truly desire. And so as adults, we have to understand, we have to take a good look at ourselves and say, is this truly serving me? Is this truly something that I want for my life? And then if it's not, take the necessary steps to change that. But the problem is, do we have the courage to do that because we don't want to look bad to other people or even it's starting a business? I'm not going to start a business. Why would I do that? You know, no one's going to support. You. Well, you're speaking that into existence. You don't even know because you don't even want to try. So you sit here and you just decide to settle. But then you're not truly happy with where you are until you push yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. So what what type of advice would you give? Let's say I'm a, a 42 year old. I'm a secretary. And damn, man, life is sucky. It sucks. But what I really want to do, I want to write comic books. I want to be a comic book writer, but I I have bills. I I have to pay them. I don't have $100,000 in the bank. I don't get paid a ton of money. I can't afford to quit, but I have no soul anymore. The flame is dim. All I want to do is write comic books. What, What do you tell me? I tell you to take one step at a time. And that's actually a a book I wrote. And it just focuses on in life, you have to take one step. If it's just a small step, I'm not saying do anything that's going to overwhelm you. Start researching how to write comic books, where to start. And each day, just do one thing that takes you closer to the goals that you have in life. And then you'll begin to get the momentum that you need to move forward. And I think this is so important that we talk about this because I know even as an administrator, I've had kids at school that'll say, I really don't want to study this, but this is what my family does. And they want me to be an engineer. Well, you're not giving that child an opportunity to be true to who they are. You've lived your life. You've made decisions for you. So why won't you give that child the opportunity to do the same? So you have to sit, and that comes by sitting down and communicating and honoring their wishes by supporting them at the same time. 
because I, I always tell my own children, this is our training ground in this house. And this is where I want you to make mistakes and be okay to fail. Failure is okay because I'm here to support you along the way. But don't do anything for me because I've lived my life. And if you want to do be a clown, be the best clown that you can be. <laughs> and I will be at every circus in the front row with my balloons and cheering you on. But it's all about you and your life. Because who am I to put my expectations and wants and desires on you? If it's something I want, I need to decide to get up and go get it for myself. Yeah, we got so stuck into this safety net thing where we ch- we kind of choose safety over our dreams. And it's it's become so common that it's the status quo. If you graduated high school and you said, I want to be a clown, everybody would make fun of you and say, oh, man, you are an idiot. What an idiot. Like, oh, you know, whoever, James, Bob, whatever, Steve, you're so smart. Go to school, get a job, whatever, because this is what we all do. Because, And it makes sense because it provides us so much security. Listen, every week or every two weeks, whatever, we're getting that paycheck. It's going to pay them bills. But what you don't realize, and listen to this, 18 to 22-year-olds, you're really trading your soul for that paycheck. And that that guy who is the clown who's eating ramen noodles every night is a lot happier than you. And then and also we sometimes make assumptions because we go by what we're told, not actually what we know. And you should sit down if you want to do something, sit down and do the research. And you never mm. know. You don't know how much they're paid. You don't know their lifestyle and what comes along with it. We just assume because we don't see a lot of, in our opinion, successful clowns or whatever it is, or we don't see that it's not a norm in our neighborhood. So because you don't fall into the status quo and it's not our normal, then, you know, you need to get out. We're going to reject you. You don't belong here in this circle, but do your research before we form opinions about anyone or any profession. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, which is, hey, if you got the kids who's worried about the Jordans, they're probably going to grow up and worry about what uh, what job they have. They're they're going to be the ones. It's like, oh, I got to buy some Jordans because everyone else said I had to. They're probably going to go to school for something they don't want to because everyone said they had to. So you got to raise them kids to be strong. What was it like being a mom? I don't. I think you have more than one kid. What was the toughest part of being a mom and what was the coolest part? The toughest part for me is anytime my children are hurt because, you know, as a parent, you want to protect them from everything. My children are my world. And so I just want I don't ever want them to hurt. I don't want their friends to be mean. I just want to be that protection and that buffer. But I also know that that comes along with them growing up. So I had to step back at times and allow them to bump their head a time or two or have a, a girlfriend break up with them and, and they have to work through those problems. But being there to help them navigate and come up with the solution has always been my number one go-to. The greatest part is I'm one of those parents. There is nothing off limits when it comes to my children. We talk about everything. And I do that because working in education they're going to hear about it. They talk about it at the cafeteria table. They learn so much. And I'd rather educate you correctly as your parent in this house instead of you going to school and learning the information incorrectly. So 
So we, there is nothing that's off limits and when it comes to my family. And I've always taught them to stand up for themselves. No matter what it is, you have a voice and you need to use it. And I think that's a part of my desire to prepare them for the real world because I won't always be here. But the football games, the cheerleading, <laughs> the track meets where I can paint my face and scream and holler, that's what I look forward to. That's the great part. Yeah. How do you approach tough subjects? Like if you have a, especially if you have a daughter, she says, oh, this, this boy at school, Jerome, he said he want to have sex with me. And I think he's cute. And I think I may want to do it. What you tell her? She's 15. She's 15. Let's talk about all the consequences. What comes along? Oh, the consequences. That's right. (laughs) No, let's. Yeah. Hold on. Let's talk about how good it's going to feel and how pretty Jerome is. No, no, no. We have to talk about the consequences and we have to talk about why. Why now? And also. Because he's pretty. No, no. But what about you? Do you value yourself? And also, number one, we have to always tell them how guys view women. And how, yeah. how committed is this individual to you? How much do you know about him? So is this somebody that's just going to do this for the moment and walk on? Or is this someone that really wants to be with you? And if he wants to be with you, then he loves you enough to stay by your side and respect you enough to wait. So those are all we there. We talk about it all. But you respecting yourself, number one, because nobody's going to respect you if you don't require it. You teach people how to treat. And that's very important that I had to, that's a lesson that I had to share with my children. People only do stuff because you allow it. So he's only going to ask you that because for some reason he feels that either you're easy or I can get one over on you or he doesn't respect you. So let's talk about what's going on, the the big picture, the consequences, and come up with a a decision or a a decision or a final thought together. You're so slick, man. You are just so, I don't know which word to use, like street smart on this stuff, man. You're so right because I feel like a lot of younger girls, unfortunately, do not know how boys view them. It is night and day. Listen to me. I am, I'm a 31-year-old man. I have never met a man that I would let date my daughter because we're dogs. We are complete dogs, man. Listen, in high school. Oh my God. The manipulation, the tactics, the lying, everything. And to, to, I guess to defend the boys just for a moment, bro, your testosterone is going. Listen to me. If there's any, if there's any moist hole, you probably want to make love to it. It doesn't matter if it's attached to a living being. It's that crazy, but man, these girls, listen, you will regret that nine times out of 10. I guarantee you, man, that boy does not really love you. I don't care what he says, man. I don't care what he says. And that's, and he, also, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I was just going to say he is so blinded by lust yeah. that he can't even see your true beauty. You know, you're right. 100%. But I, I will also say with all of, I have two girls and a boy. And my standard is for all three of them, boy, girl, whatever it is, they know in this house, you're not to be with anyone if you're not going to be committed to them. And I don't agree with people soaring their wild oats and doing whatever, because whatever you're doing as a child, you're going to do it as an adult. 
You can say all day long that, oh, I, I cheated and I had five girls on the side when I was younger. That becomes a habit and that becomes who you are because you can always think you're going to get away with it. And I would tell my son just as I as well as I would tell my daughter, whoever you're going to date, you're committed to that person. I don't care if you're 12, 13, 14, you're committed. If you cannot be faithful to that person, don't date them. Be single. Mm. And that is a standard because I'm building them up so they can have morals and values and integrity as they grow into being an adult to know that that's, that's not cool to be with five and six different people at a time. And what does that say about you as an individual? So you respect yourself first and then you learn to respect those around you. Yeah. And unfortunately, what you're saying makes so much sense, but it's so different for mm -hmm. people of that age. It's, it's kind of like the Jays thing. Where everything goes back to the Jays. But everything goes be back to, to your home, yeah. the home environment. It, everything goes back, man. Home. You got to be able to buck. Listen, just because your homeboy is sleeping with five different girls right. doesn't mean that's the right thing. And I know that every. 12 to 18 year old guy listening to this thinks I'm be I'm full of crap, <laughs> but, uh, holla at me in five years, bro. So That's what, right. what happens? Let's, let's say that, uh, uh, a young, a young man wants to date your daughter. Do they have to meet you first? How, what's that process like? No, no. Well, our family, we're just, a lot of kids hang out at our home. We've always been the house that a That's lot good. of children like to be at because, I, like one of my son's friends told me when he was younger, you know, adults are not supposed to act like we're just down to earth. We, we love everyone. This is where they'll get their encouragement and their support, but they also get tough love here. And so if it's a guy that are my children are um, interested in, they may choose to bring them to introduce them to me. They don't have to. I don't believe in that because they're not getting married. Now, if they're to the point of marriage, that's different. Because they're young and I was young once and I trust my kids enough and I know they know how to respect themselves. So I, I don't have to have everyone come here. But if I see something that I don't like, they know I'm going to address it, not only just with them, but with the person that they're with. I bet that if that person, that boyfriend or whatever does meet you, I bet they're so intimidated. Okay. <laughs> I, bet, I bet they're <laughs> no, so scared. No. Well, I always think to myself, if it's something that my children are not sharing with me, the first thing I think is, what did I do to create this environment? I want them to always, I don't care what it is, if you get a nose piercing, a tattoo on the side of your cheek, whatever it is, I want to be a part of it. And I want you to know that I, I'm there for you. But when they start to hide things from me, that means that I'm not doing something right as a parent. And so I take a look at myself to say, what can I do? to make this a safe space for my children where they can talk to me about any and everything. Cause I well, don't how, want how, them to go through life alone. How, how do you do that? Because one, I think kids are inherently sneaky. I know mm -hmm. I was very sneaky. And then two, especially with someone like you, you have all the right answers. You're very well put together. You're a very pretty lady. You have beautiful white teeth oh, for those you. just listening. <laughs> you you seem to be almost like a role model, like perfect. Almost like one of those people is like, oh, she's too perfect. Like, let's not talk about the drugs or whatever we're doing because like, man, she just can't relate. How do you stay relatable to your kids? Because I stay real with them at all times. 
I tell them about my childhood. I tell them about the things that I have experienced. I am not a parent that wants to put on this facade that I'm perfect and I'm the adult because so many times, and that's how I was raised, you speak when you're spoken to and you create this rigid environment where you intimidate your children. Well, one day those children are going to grow up and then you're going to be frustrated when you can't have a a conversation with them, but you've already put the fear of God in them that they can't be themselves and they're not comfortable around you. So I'm very real. I'm very transparent with my kids because I don't believe that God allowed me to go through things to keep them to myself. So everything Mm -hmm. that I've experienced, I've, I talk to my children about and also being in education, I know what children are doing. So I'll tell them, did somebody ask you, uh, give you some uh, weed? Or you better not eat them brownies, them marijuana brownies. <laughs> and we talk about everything because people will try to sneak them at the lunchroom table. You know you have allergies. Whatever it is, what kind of pills they passing out today? I'm always asking questions and digging in. And, and that's a point. You have to be intentional. You have to be one of those parents that I'm paying the bill. I, and they know I will pick up your phone at any time and go through it. And then we're going to have a conversation about what's in the phone. So it's just being open and being real and being transparent and letting your kids know it's okay to make mistakes. It will take away the undue stress that we put on. So let's say your son walks in and he's stoned. You could tell he's stoned. And what, what do you do in that moment while he's still stoned? And then what do you do maybe the next day? Well, that moment, we're going to address it right then. Oh, no. Yes, yes, that moment. No, he don't want that. He does not want that. <laughs> yes, yes. He, he's about to get the smoke because uh, what, what's going on? <laughs> Why do you smell like that in this house, period? And what, what did I do to make you think that it was okay to not only participate in that, but to walk in my house smelling that? Yeah. So let's, let's have a conversation about what I did to make you feel that this is okay. Then after we go through that, not only will you get drug tests, but we're going to talk about the effects that it has on you and what you're going, the steps that you're going to take to fix this situation. Because I'm going to go down the line with my drug selling family members, my family members that's been in gangs and been shot up, the situations that I've been through and the consequences that they've had. And those are too close for comfort. And I don't want to lose you. So what do I need to do to fix this situation? Instead of always blaming them and put everything on them, what is my yeah. role in this situation? I, I'm going to be honest. Half of what you said would have really distanced me from you if I was your kid. And the other mm-hmm. half would have really maybe drew me closer. Yeah. Um, if you would have came down hard on me, I would have said my inner thought would have said, OK, she I, I'm just going to speak openly. Uh-huh. She's yeah. really she's she's really aggravating me right now. Uh-huh. And so what I need to do is I need to be a lot more sneaky because with, with her coming down on me, it's like, man, just just shut up. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Shut up. And so I just need to be a lot more sneaky. Now, uh-huh. the part that would maybe actually make me reconsider my actions is if you asked me, hey, son. What do I need to do to help you not smoke weed? Mm-hmm. I'll say, wow, <laughs> man, yeah. she's aggravating me, but damn, she cares so much. And that uh-huh. would, that's such a real, that's a really unique approach, approach. Mm-hmm. 
because I remember whenever I used to mess up, I just got came down on so hard and it did nothing. If anything, I was just like, I don't even want to talk to y'all during like dinner, you know, Mm -hmm. but you, you have such a unique approach, man. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my job is try to keep my lines of communication with my babies open as much as possible. And I, not only my own babies, but the babies in the schools that I I deal with and the ones that have difficulty opening up to their parents at home. I I want them to feel comfortable. Yeah, man, you're, you're really good. You seem like a great mother. Have you ever been very, what's, what's the most depressed you've been in your life? Um, I think just when I lost my parents, it was very hard. And I lost them 10 months of each other. And they were, you know, my biggest advocates, my biggest supporters. And even though I had a tough childhood, you know, being there the last three years of their lives and being there to to be there for their last breath and to be their advocate, that that was very, very difficult. So kids, no matter how mean or hard your parents are, um, I do anything for five more minutes with mine. So appreciate what you have because you never know. What is it like to be maybe at the bedside of a dying parent? What's going through your mind? Why couldn't I save her? Why couldn't I save him? What doctor, what did I miss? What sign did I miss? How could have I made things better? And um, is this really forever? And then screaming to the top of your lungs, please don't leave me. I need you. I can't do this without you. Good God. Did you really believe that in in the moment that you really couldn't do it without him? I did for for a while, but then I knew that there, I, I number one <laughs> reflected on how no nonsense they were. And I didn't have a choice. You better get up and wipe your face and go do what you need to do was in the back of my mind. Cause that's how I was yeah. raised. But um, yes, because I'm so used to seeing them and hearing their voice and being encouraged and, and having them there to advocate for me. And, you know, when others didn't believe in you and others didn't cheer you on, those two, they loved you. And so there's no other love like the love of your parents. They may not know how to do it and say it right all the time, but their love runs deep, deeper than any friend that you'll ever run to, run into. That's a great point, too, that that that's a that's a whole different type of love. That's even different than marriage, in my opinion. That's a, yeah. that's a different, different beast. I I cannot imagine yeah. what that shit was like. I I um my stepmother lost both of her parents within 10 months, just like you. Oh, wow. And it changed completely what I thought of her. I've never seen a greater display of strength than I've seen out of that woman. Holy shit. It was, man, I was like, yo, I think girls are just built different. Y'all are strong people. Just maybe because guys could pick up a heavier rock than y'all. Y'all are just, y'all are incredible, man. Y'all are so incredible. Um, so, Whenever you got into this rut, 
what helped you get out of it? Um, my mindset, my memories, and my faith in God. I reflected on the memories that I had with them. I had to make myself have a positive mindset and just remember all the things that they they taught and to know that they're still somewhere looking at me saying, get up, go do what yeah. you're supposed to do. I'm, I'm still right here. Just go. And I, I didn't want to disappoint them then younger and I don't want to disappoint them now. So I have a legacy to continue. Damn. I'm so impressed by your parents. <laughs> oh my gosh. You are so impressive. And props to them. My goodness. So what, what advice would you give to someone in a rut? And I want to preface this because I'm, I'm just going to be honest here. Mm-hmm. A lot of the advice I hear on this topic is complete hogwash. It's some cookie cutter bull crap uh-huh. because whenever someone is depressed Let's say I've just gained 20 pounds the past month. I can't stop eating. I'm addicted to food. I'm drinking four nights a week. I'm just laying down all the time. I'm lonely, but I don't want to go out because I just gained all this weight. I'm irritable. I'm cussing at my wife. I'm kicking the dogs. And man, just every day I wake up and all I want to do is eat, drink, watch food, and not see anybody. I'm low. I'm at the lowest of the low. What, what, what advice would you give me? What would you tell me to do? I, the first thing I would say is, what would you say to your best friend or someone that you care about so much that was in that situation? That's the same oh, advice shit. that you can give yourself. Because we have the best advice for everybody else, but we don't want to take it. That medicine don't taste right. But it, it tastes okay when you're telling it to somebody else. <laughs> so the same stuff that you can tell your very best friend that was depressed or in a rut, while you're there, just reflect on, man... What would I tell John if he was going through this? Man, yeah. what would I say? Okay, yeah. So if it's this, if this ain't good enough for John, it sure ain't good enough for me. So the same mm. advice you'd give somebody else—that's the advice that you need to reflect on and give to yourself. I, I like I like that answer. I don't know if it would work because of this. Mm-hmm. People who are in that situation don't care about themselves. So the. I, I remember, right, so, I, I'm speaking from experience. Uh-huh. I remember I, I was in this situation and a lot of people were like, man, listen, do it to be better, man. You need to be better for yourself, Chris. You deserve more. And I'm like, listen, you don't understand. I hate myself. If I woke up tomorrow and I wasn't alive, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, right? It's like, I don't care about myself. Do it for your wife. It's like, huh, well, she's actually been good to me, but it really doesn't move the needle either, bro. Like, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. It's like, maybe looking at it from the best friend's perspective will move the needle. I don't know. But these people, I think, get left behind because the first step is a thousand times harder than the one that you take once you get momentum. And I, 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 so interested in hearing what people like you have to say to these people who are very depressed, because unfortunately I think it's a large number and it's growing. I mean, if you can't reflect on the advice that you would give a friend or someone that you care deeply about, you have to always make sure you have at least two individuals that you can count on. 
someone that's going to come by and check on you to try to keep you encouraged. You don't have to get up today. You don't even have to shower for three days. But I just want to keep you encouraged and let you know I care. I'm here. I just want to stop by and brought you some food or I just dropped this off to say, look, is is I know you might not see it now, but I'm believing it for you. I'm going to stand in the gap. It's going to get better. And that one or two individuals that you identify, they will be there to be the strength when you don't have any. So make sure you surround yourself with someone that's going to check on you and be there for you to try to, to pick you up during those very difficult times. That's beautiful. No. <laughs> I'm serious. That that was beautiful. That is such, oh man. You your soul is more beautiful than your smile. Um oh, my goodness. So that is great advice, man. If you have friends, loved ones, or whatever who can't help themselves, then you need to be aggressive. This is great. This is great advice. This is fantastic. You need to be aggressive. Listen, you see John, your buddy, Susan, whoever is down and out and they can't help themselves. They won't even pick up the phone. Go to their doggone door. Do what you got to do. And listen, they're going to be pissed off at you. They're going to say, get out of here, man. Whatever. I'm, I don't want to see you right now. I'm you know, Really, they're embarrassed. It doesn't matter. You don't have to say, you don't have to be, you know, an asshole, but just say, hey, Listen, I'm not I'm not going to stick around. But I bought you these cookies and this coffee and I just want to say, "Bro, I care." And hey, if you want to play some video games tonight, I think that would be a lot of fun. And I hope you want to do that. That's all it takes, man. That's awesome. And it means a lot. And you just have to be intentional. I know that there were moments when my parents were transitioning and I just didn't understand what was going on. You know, my kids, and you don't always have to say a word. Just come in and sit next to me and sit on their phone and they're still Snapchatting it up and whatever. And that just meant so much for you to take that time just to to stop by and sit next to me. And then they leave and go do their thing. So it's not always a long discussion or a sermon or all of that. Your presence speaks volumes and you just have to be intentional. So you can make sure if something was to happen, you have no regret. I was there for them. I stood in the gap and I truly love. Man, that's, oh gosh, that's wonderful. That is, I, I can't harp on it enough. Um, especially because whenever people are in these super depressed situations, like I said earlier, their instinct is to isolate. And that is the worst thing you could do. That is the worst thing you could do. And just like you said, the presence of, hey, I'm just sitting here, man. I'm, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to preach to you. I'm not saying what you're doing is good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm, not, I'm just saying that, hey, I, I care for you. I'm just going to sit here. And, you know, you want to play games or you want to you talk or if you don't want to do any of that, that's cool. I'm, I'm just going to be here for you. That's and beautiful. one thing I always say to my students and even to your listeners that are listening. No, I don't know you and I may not ever have a chance of meeting you, but it's important that people hear the words. I love you. And so I I truly love you. I'm concerned about our well-being in our society. And that goes a long way. 
And so just for anyone, because there are some people that feel like they don't have anyone, but you need to know that there is someone that does care about you and you have value. You're important. You're needed and necessary. And this is even during your dark hour, you know, just just find the courage and the strength to, to pull yourself out just for another day. Yeah. I love you too. And I love everybody listening. And if anybody that's listening is in this situation, doggone call me, uh, reach out to me. I, I don't care. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll do a podcast with you. I'll, I'll go, I'll go to your doggone house. I, I don't care. These people are being forgotten by everybody and it really pisses me off. Um, but it also makes me very sad. So if you're in that situation, listen, I know there's lots of hotlines and stuff like that, but you know, and, and I'm sure their trained professionals are very good at their job, but, you know, feel free to call me too, because, um, you know, I, I think we can all relate and I would just love to talk to you and, you know, I'll tell you a knock, knock joke. <laughs> <laughs> so you're married. Um, are you, are you? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. To my high school sweetheart. Oh my God. That is incredible. What's your favorite thing about your husband? Uh, his sense of humor. We can both be very silly. Yeah. I, when I was think- growing up, I was a, a tomboy. And so when we were in high school and he said he liked me, I was like, yeah, ugh, no, you don't like me. <laughs> we're friends. You're my brother. And he was like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm your brother. And so we started dating in high school. But I, I love to have fun. I think sometimes we take life too seriously. And you need to laugh. You need to enjoy this ride. I lost my sister of 48 years old in a freak car accident. She had just retired. And so all these great things we're planning for, you may never see. So we have to, you know, look at the brighter side and enjoy life while we can. So we, our family is high, high, high energy. All five of us. (laughs) Good. Y'all, y'all should do, y'all should do a TV show, but that's so true. A previous podcast guest, JJ, mm-hmm. he went to bed one day, he woke up the next day, found out he had cancer and it was terminal. I mean, it's, and, and he kind of echoed exactly what you just said is that his, his message was that the stuff you think is big is really small. He said, the, getting in an argument with your, with your girl or your friends or stuff like that. Don't let this stuff ruin your day, man. Live it all to the fullest because you never know. You never know when the car crash is going to happen or the terrible diagnosis, man. Go out there, live it. Talk to the pretty girl. Ask for 10% off on your groceries just because, (laughs) you know, ask for that raise. Be silly. Tell someone that they're pretty. Tell someone that they have cool shoes. This is is the beauty of life, man. Put a smile on someone's face. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And uh, people say that a lot about our family because we're so high energy, but we actually have a a family kind of TikTok and it's just silly dancing, just something that brighten up other people's day. And it's our stress reliever too, because life is too short. And I'm tired of these stigmas and these stereotypes and you just have to be so tight and rigid in this adult life. I want to live and I want to have fun while I can. Yeah, man. I, I, I see that a lot. A lot of people, are, I, I feel like a lot of people are taking themselves very serious now. And I don't know if it's because everybody's very career driven 
or if it's they think that's cool or something. But in my opinion, that's not cool. Be silly, be goofy, tell me a fart joke, whatever. I mean, come on, let's let's be a little goofy uh, in 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 the world today because I think I think it would do a lot of good. So, whenever to get back to your husband, mm-hmm. you didn't have like fear of missing out that, Hey, he's my high school sweetheart. But you know how, whenever you graduate high school, you realize, Oh, this is a big world. And the pond is a lot bigger. You didn't think, Oh no, maybe I want to try a couple other guys before settling down with this guy. Well, we dated other people during our off and on times, but I think when you find someone, it's just like when you get the house of your dreams, I'm done looking. Why are you wasting your time? showing me the other homes that are available. I found what I wanted and I don't want to waste my time and I don't want to waste anybody else's time. I want to start living life and enjoying it. And not everyone is qualified or meets my standards of expectations when it comes to bringing children into this world. Because I, you know, everyone, you know, when I was growing up, it was cool and I want to be hood. And and that's not what I wanted. That was not what I was interested in because that's, I came from that lifestyle and that's not what I wanted to give my children. Yeah. What would be your most important or your one piece of advice you would give to married couples? They, I would say for married couples is to know how to communicate. Communication Mm -hmm. is essential. No secrets and communicate. Yeah, that's a good one. And a third one is to have Tons of sex okay. all the time, <laughs> but, but you can, that, that's, that's a form of communication. You can oh, say yeah. that, uh, you could definitely say that, um, well, Dr. Bradford, I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you, you are... so much. I loved it. I truly enjoyed this. You're a hoot. I love it. Thank you so much for your energy. <laughs> I'm a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> that's you pretty sound cool. like my kids that's what they they're always teasing me yes that is awesome i've never been called a hoot but it's the first funny. and no i'm gonna own it i don't want to okay. be funny i want to be a hoot okay <laughs> where can people find you and learn more about you well um you can go to my website it's www dot maintain the flame dot net and that's where I have my book um, life coaching and speaking engagements I would love to come to your location speak at your school your conference whatever you have going on connect with me if you have a question you always wanted to ask an administrator my husband's a state trooper if you have a question you've always wanted to ask the cop reach out to us and let's connect anything for the children that's awesome. I'll put all of that in the show notes and more. Dr. Bradford, I, I, I'm genuinely saying this. You are one of the most beautiful souls I have ever got to talk to. And to hear kind of where you come from makes it even greater. You light up a room and you are so street smart and, sna- and savvy <laughs> that I could only imagine how great of a parent and educator you are. Thank you so much for your time today. And hopefully you could come back on again soon. I would love to. Thank you so much for the opportunity.